Hi! We've been gone from the podcast for so long. How have you been? Me? All right, I guess. Uh, Pittsburgh worked out terribly, and my car died. On the bright side, I have a partner and a new cat living in North Carolina, which is way closer to you. Yeah, what's what's been happening with you, my dudette guy? Oh, you know, moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, left one job, got kicked out of one house, got a new and better job, moved into an apartment by myself, got more into zine making, uh, got an Instant Pot for Christmas. Instant Pots are rad. I love them. So, we're settled down. Let's get the podcast and watch some Zio. Jay, I know life has happened a lot, but did you think I forgot? Maybe... Uh-uh. You put me through Mighty Morphin for six months. And then we did nothing for six months. You know what's about to happen. Hi, I'm Sister Miki's Blue Clip-Ins, Ashley. And I'm Jin-san's deep-fried pterodactyl, Jay. And this is Rangersplain, where Jay, a lifelong Power Rangers fan, takes me, Ashley, through the entirety of Power Rangers. But today, we're doing something different. Go to guy! That's right. I'm taking over er, to talk about Kitty Hunting Alive, which is the only Takusatsu I'd seen before starting this podcast. But first, uh, we kind of want to apologize for the fact that we have been away for about mm, six or seven months. Yeah, life kind of just happened really quickly, um, and we ended up, we originally were supposed to move to Nashville, but then things happened, and, um, my side is, is very interesting, I could go into it, but uh, I have a new kitten, I now live with my partner in North Carolina, I was homeless for a while, and that sucked, um, but very, very briefly, um, and then, um, I ended up deciding to move to Tennessee after all um so I ended up in Chattanooga and as I mentioned in the uh in the cold open I yeah it literally was I moved into a house um as I was about to leave my Amazon job uh which I can I feel free saying that now because I you know I'm no longer work for them uh so I was about to leave my Amazon job and I had just moved into a house was looking for new jobs and was told I needed to move out before December the 1st and so that left me in a little bit of a spiral for a couple of days, but then everything kind of lined up. I ended up finding a new job, finding a new place, and I'm recording in my own apartment right now, which is exciting. Uh, first time living by myself. I don't have a cat yet, but planning on it soon. And yeah, I think we are kind of settled back into like doing more um, podcasting stuff, doing more creative endeavors. Um, like I said, I'm doing more zine work, doing more comics work in the upcoming year, which should have stuff to talk about in future episodes. So yeah. yeah. Um, everything kind of worked out in the end a little bit. <laughs> so, but yeah, let's go ahead and get into um, talking about Cutie Honey. Cause like I said, I did not forget that this was our plan uh, after we were done with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> it just I didn't forget either. Haha, <laughs> I broke kayfabe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it just took a little bit longer to get there. And this was always the plan in the first place to kind of just take a break from Power Rangers and uh, have me kind of talk about um, what I knew about Tokusatsu, which is this very weird series. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Cutie Honey a little bit and then get into uh, Cutie Honey the Live. Um, so 
Cutie Honey is interesting in terms of it is one, it's a very prolific series in Japan, but not a lot of people in the States really follow it. So basically, Cutie Honey uh, is a creation of manga creator Go Nagai, uh, introduced in 1973. And so the original Cutie Honey manga follows a uh, teenage girl who's actually an android. Um, her name's uh, Honey Kisaragi, changes into the warrior of love, Cutie Honey. Uh, but she can change into anything else she basically wants to. Like, you know, the transformation pen from Sailor Moon. Uh, her powers are basically that. Um, and so she fights against a shadowy organization called Panther Claw, uh, and basically is fighting, um, in, on behalf or on revenge for, uh, her father, Dr. Kisaragi, who dies very early on in the series. Now, the original manga is pretty historic in terms of, it was the first, um, not seinen, um, uh, shonen, shonen. Why am I why am I blanking on that? I am out of my game. <laughs> um, it is the first shonen manga to ever feature a female protagonist. Um, it was known for kind of being very hy, not not total hentai, but it was very hy, and a lot of people consider it very influential on the magical girl genre. Uh, not the first, like Honey was not the first magical girl, but. Um, I think she was one of the first that could transform, like could do the henshin and stuff. Um, so she's considered very influential on that. And Honey's influence has kind of continued through the years in terms of there have been, let's see, so we have one, two, there's like been five separate anime adaptations. Um, one live stage show, which is going to be coming out soon in Japan. Um, and two live action movies and one live action TV series, which we're talking about today with Cutie Honey the Live, uh, created in 2007. Do you want to go over the plot or should I? I'll go over the plot. Teenage android Honey Kisaragi fights against Panther Claw using the Honey system and invention of her father, Dr. Kisaragi, before his death. Along the way, she discovers two more girls with the Honey system, Miki and Yuki. However, the time seems to be running out for the two of them, leading to grave consequences for Honey. And, and I should note, before we get into this, uh, my friend Sam uh, actually got me into this a very long time ago, because she is somebody I've known almost as long as Jay. And so, uh, Jay can blame her for this. Yes. We love you, Sam. We love you. But, okay, so let's get into our characters for this, starting with our titular character, uh, Honey Kisaragi, a.k.a. Cutie Honey. She is such a sweet cinnamon roll. I know. I love this particular version of Honey. Um, honey in most versions of Cutie Honey it has, it is usually somebody who is very open and loving, um, very sweet, um, because the fact that she, it's supposed to be that she's an android, but she was given human emotions, so therefore she has a love and appreciation for everyone around her, and this version especially is a very sweet and loving person who just wants the best for everybody. Yes, um, and really loves food. Oh, yeah, she loves food. It's like, it, it was really fun to kind of watch all of the sequences of, like, honey just eating, and, and, and I don't say that in, like, a fetish way, it was just more of, like, a Oh, this is just, it's really nice to kind of just see her just constantly just being like, um, um, um. <laughs> um, 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 um. 
Yeah, like Goku. Yeah, like Goku. Yeah, I think that was the the vibe of it. And let's all the food on the series just looked very good. Yeah. Before we kind of get into like some of the stuff we wrote that are serious, uh, one of the things we 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 talked about was how she was a heterosexual honey. Yeah. So honey is also Cutie Honey as a series as a franchise, if you want to call it that is kind of known for having um, lesbian undertones, quote, quote. So it's because very, it's from the beginning, honey, kitty honey. It was always implied that uh, every girl at her school had a crush on her, including the teachers, because it was very clearly written in 1973. So it's always been kind of a thing that was there is that, you know, honey might be a little gay. Everyone around her is a little gay. Like, it's even a joke in, like, the first manga where um, Sister Jill's like, oh, my heart's beating so fast when, like, Honey's trying to flash around her and she can't, like, her clothes keep coming off. Um, And she's like, am I a lesbian? (laughs) But this Honey in particular is interesting because it's a very kind of explicitly heterosexual Honey. And the only time that's ever happened before is Cutie Honey Flash, which was the 1997 uh, anime adaptation, which I'll I'll bring that up a couple of times when we're talking about this episode, because I think it's the closest anime analog to this particular series. But yeah, Honey in this is very heterosexual. Though, yeah, even though it's like she only has a crush on one guy and then kind of gets over it in like three episodes. Yeah. I, I kind of valued her more as an ace, like probably a uh, heteromantic ace. Mm, yeah, I could. Yeah, no, I could definitely take that reading. Yeah, because she just kind of wasn't, you know, she just had a, and this goes back to her like naivete. Naivete, yeah. Just kind of towards like sex and and that sort of thing. She's very, she has that innocence about her. So you know, I I think that kind of ties into it. She's just like. And I think she knows about it. She's an android and she's hella smart, but I don't think she cares. Right. Right. Yeah, I know. So, because it's a whole thing in this, like, the early on in the series when one of the other characters is introduced is that uh, there is a character, an, uh, another woman character, that has a massive crush on her. And Honey is just oblivious. Like, she thinks that Yuki wants to be, just wants to be friends with her and she keeps trying to set Yuki up with um, Seiji. Because she's just that dumb and naive that she doesn't really get that, like, no, Yuki wants to kiss you. She does not give a shit about Seiji. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely kind of read into the uh, the oblivious ace kind of vibe. I also want to go over uh, Mikihara played her, and this was, I think, her first live action role. Uh, yeah, Mikihara was known for being more of a gravure idol before she did Cutie Honey. Um, so this was kind of her first live action acting role and she does fine. Um, like she's not particular, like she's not particularly bad or anything. Um, it's just, just, just the level of toku actor you expect a little bit hammy and over the top. Well, yeah. And, um, she did go back to idol work after that, but she's done more acting since then. Um, I know she's been on a couple of other, uh, toku series and movies i um I, I believe some of the common writer movies yeah and i think uh gokaiju is what it's called or deki ranger yeah uh those are two different ones um 
We can we can note it in the show notes. Yeah, I will look that up for the show notes. But I found it an interesting an interesting choice, and it's the same thing for we'll get to it with Miki. Uh, they chose uh kind of those those like model actresses. Uh, you mean? Are you talking about Sister Miki or Honey from the two thousand four movie? Sister Miki. Okay. Um. But okay. And but yeah, it's like she's. Yeah, she does fine, and, like, clearly it was a jump start to her career where she did more toku after that. Even, like, which is almost, it's pretty impressive for someone who seemed like she was mostly cast for her, um, assets? Assets. Yeah, assets. We'll go with that. Her talent. Her her talent, as they say in Sailor Moon. Yeah, her, her, her huge tracks of land. R.I.P. Terry Jones. Terry Gilliam, please fuck off. <laughs> Wrong, Terry died. Anyway, um, so something you noted about Honey is that she kind of, like, in the series, she doesn't have much of a character growth arc as the rest of the characters do. Yeah, she reminded me a lot of Godai from uh, Kamen Rider Kuga, in which she was just kind of this pure, wonderful essence of a character, where everyone around uh, her just seem to grow because of her right no that makes sense i mean especially when you put it that way like it, it did make me go back and think about honey as a character is yeah she doesn't really yeah it's like not to say that she doesn't go through like a, an emotional journey she does yeah but she is more yeah it's like it's more about yeah the series is more about how honey changes everyone else versus like how honey is changed by the experience and that's the emotional journey honey goes through and that normally is what character development is she's still a big like main character she fights panther claw and all that but yeah she just kind of is the facility for change for other people right which makes sense but yeah and it, actually i think that actually the biggest kind of emotional arc you we get from her kind of the biggest character growth moment we get from her is an episode called uh, the value of existence. Yes. Which is, I think we agreed is our favorite episode actually of the entire series. And it's, it comes late into the series, like right kind of before the shit all hits the fan. And basically the, the whole thing about this episode is one of the Panther Claw villains, which we'll get into, has introduced something called an existence tax and is basically charging, trying to charge people just a tax for living and honey is kind of going through an existential crisis during all of this because um she gets outed as an android at her school and she's kind of losing friends and she just she she feels very vulnerable and she wants to be treated as a human because that's how she feels about her life is that she doesn't really see herself as an android. And it's not that she's in denial of that. She very much knows that she's an android, but she doesn't see herself as the cold robot everyone's treating her as. And then uh, she ends up talking to Miki and Miki kind of gives her the Miki version of a pep talk. And yeah, we'll get to Miki in a moment. Um, she's at, Miki might actually be my favorite character in the series, but we'll get to that. Um... But anyway, um, Honey ends up kind of getting this meeky version of a pep talk where, like, she's basically told, like, you know, you you exist. You can ex you can just exist. You don't have to justify your existence to anybody else. That kind of gives Honey the, the kick in the butt she needs. And she goes and, like, 
helps the homeless population of Japan fight against the um the that unfair tax and uh ends up winning the day and celebrates her birthday and she just she like she just learns that she can just exist she doesn't have to justify herself as a human or an android to anybody else so it's it, it's a it's a nice episode and probably yeah it's also got a moment that we'll get into that's probably the funniest of the series yeah um we've been talking about sister miki let's go let's go into uh crawling in her skin and her wounds will not heal literally um, literally yeah so miki satame or sister miki is the second um character with the honey system introduced and basically she is angst 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 she's very angsty yeah so um so miki is like when i keep mentioning uh kitty honey flash miki is probably going to be the the other closest character that kind of brings up that comparison uh because kitty honey flash was the first version of cutie honey to introduce multiple people with the same powers uh, and that series had a character named misty honey and um miki is kind of closest to what misty honey was um but yeah honey not honey miki is interesting because she has she's just the same age as honey and she has already experienced a lot of personal tragedy that has kind of made her closed off to everyone around her Oh, yeah, like her, uh, we'll get into how her parents died, but her parents died in a car wreck. Um, she basically was kidnapped by a mad scientist and experimented on and all that. And she, when we first see her, she's actually in a detention center. Right. And so as the, the course of the series goes on, we actually find out Miki is slowly dying um, because of the, because of the honey system um basically when we talk about she was kidnapped by a bad scientist we do literally mean dr kisaragi um so she's kidnapped by this mad scientist dr kisaragi and she is the honey system in her is flawed and that whenever she flashes it absorbs whatever's around her into her body and then it kind of violent will violently expel itself from her body like kind of showing up as like these protrusions that are pushing up through her and it's yeah. it's slowly killing her um kind of cronenbergian oh it's it's real gross it, it's very body horror if that's not if, if that's not your thing this is kind of your warning now like maybe skip this series um yeah. but it yeah it's it's very much it's very painful is that she's like she's literally going through this like what could be like considered chronic pain that's slowly killing her, but also kind of the emotional pain of every. She kind of loses everything in her life, so she kind of feels like she has to close herself off, don't get close to anybody, and just kind of let herself die. But yeah, and then she runs into Honey, who she rejects at first, which was very mm-hmm. interesting. But over the the course of the series, just kind of like Honey becomes her friend, and she just loves honey and uh in the end she sacrificed herself and her well-being so honey could live yeah and like so the funny thing is miki does actually literally die from her like from the protrusions coming up through her body at one point in the series and honey tries to sacrifice herself for miki and then miki then honey ends up actually 
dying. Um, and so Miki decides to kind of repay that and sacrifice herself. Um, mm-hmm. And there's no real coming back for her because she's not a robot. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so that's a lot of her um, character growth. And, like, when she, so she learns to stop isolating herself, open herself up to Honey. And in that end, like, she realizes that um, that she would be kind of metaphorically remembered through through honey but also like yeah like honey yeah i was about to say that like that was kind of her big like character moment Mm -hmm. was when she was like um i will always live on through honey right and it's metaphorical but it's also literal because like um in the final episode honey gets her powers and can basically transform gets Miki's weapons, kind of gets her, like, costume and all of that. And even gets her little blue streaks that Miki has in her hair when she changes. It's really cute. Um, so, yeah. And it's, like, it's it's kind of seeing her how she is before she really opens up. And, like, she doesn't, like, have, like, a big emotional... Like, she has the emotional change, but she doesn't kind of change her demeanor. Um, which is nice. She kind of stays an emo kid the entire way. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, I, I am an open emo kid, but I'm still an emo kid. Yeah. Who will fight you for 500 yen. Yeah, so there's um another episode where, like, Honey and Yuki, which we'll talk about Yuki in a second, get into a fight with Pantherclaw um, just because, like, you know, Pantherclaw is uh, hypnotizing men to get money. But then, like... Yuki, not Yuki, Miki only gets in the fight because, like, one somebody from the Panther Claw, like, Sting, steals 500 yen from her and she wants that 500 yen back. She, she definitely wants that 500 yen. And for those who are not aware, that's about 50 cents in America. So, it's like, if somebody stole, like, your change from you while you were, like, checking out at, like, the grocery store and you just chased them down just to get that 50 cent change back. She, she is hardcore. Um, yeah. One of the things I liked that you noted and that we noted throughout the series was um, as she was dying, her uh, scythe that she had was kind of like, mm-hmm. was like rusted up. It was rotting and everything. And it wasn't until uh, she sacrificed herself for honey that honey, that it mm-hmm. rejuvenates back to its original form. Yeah. Cause you only see the form in one episode previously and that's when um well not one episode but it keeps kind of showing up as a flashback um but you only see it in color in one episode is when uh you find out that she killed dr kisaragi but you know for good reason because he killed her parents yeah he writes it in a book too he writes it in a book we'll get to that later but i'm still not over he basically creates this giant stone hand to cause a car wreck that launches Miki's parents through a windshield. Yeah. And it's like, you should have maybe been wearing like seatbelts, unless like the force of that hand also made the seatbelt. I don't know. Don't think about it too hard. Don't, don't. So, kills her, yeah, kills her with a giant stone hand because he, one, he could, and two, um, Miki had the same blood type and the same birthday as his dead daughter. Who he accidentally killed. We'll get into him in a bit. Yeah, so Miki goes through a lot. Like, you know, her parents die. She gets her memory erased. She find, 
she has a boyfriend for an episode and it's like implied they broke up or something and like he never gets mentioned again like he gets kidnapped too it becomes a damsel in distress and she's like why should i care oh god it's well because she can't form emotional attachments because emotional attachments mean that like everyone around her is going to be disappointed when she inevitably dies a violent death and then I wanted to note uh, Ayame, uh, who is her actress, uh, played Escape from Go Busters, and I did not realize that till I was like looking up. I'm like, oh, well, what are their ties to Toku? Because one of the things in Tokusatsu in uh, Japan is you see a lot of reoccurring actors. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, really, she was Escape? Is that um, Roxy and Beast Morphers? That's essentially, uh, except think Roxy, but way like, like a ro- actual robot ah. and uh, supposed to be sexy. Ah, okay. I, I just, just trying to understand the equivalence there. Yeah, but yeah, Roxy, um, I'll give you a picture of Escape. Okay. Uh, we'll put that on the show notes as well. Um, yeah, something that well, also we didn't note about Miki before we get into Yuki is that Miki is really the only one that kind of knows what honey and yuki don't um i mean obviously because she killed dr kisaragi and she keeps that pretty close to the chest until towards the end of the series um but she's also the only one that knows that her honey system is not is imperfect and will slowly kill yuki and she doesn't really tell yuki that i mean what the only thing she tells yuki is that yuki is going to go through a change soon like, she's talking about puberty or something. Yeah. Yuki, you're going to go through puberty and it sucks. You know, yes, puberty sucks. But it's also just like, maybe tell her, like, hey, you're going to start violently expo- um, expunging metal objects from your body because you keep in, uh, taking them in when you flash. So uh, keep a lookout for that. Just like puberty. Just like puberty. <laughs> I don't know what your puberty was like terrible mine's yeah mine certainly didn't involve me like pulling metal objects out of my abdomen no okay oh uh since we've been talking about yuki um let's talk about yuki um she's a yandere she very much was for for honey yeah so yuki kinmochi or sister yuki uh she gets introduced in like episode nine or ten like she first gets introduced like briefly where like some of some bullies are trying to get money from her and she literally gives them money because she's super rich Um, yeah she's super rich bored girl yeah and that's the plot driver for the introduction of mayumi um but then like when she is actually introduced she's actually kidnapped by a kidnapper who's uh kind of been conscripted by panther claw and she um so initially she starts off as this bored rich girl but she's very sweet and she's excited to get kidnapped and eventually helps the kidnapper with getting the money to um so that he doesn't get killed by panther claw so that starts in like episode 10 and by episode 25 she is literally wanting to take over the world that's a 15 episode character progression it's weird <laughs> yeah i know and that's why she got the horrible wigs yeah um so we mentioned her before with having a crush on Honey, and she really, really, 
likes honey. Like creepily so. Like she kills a dude for honey. Yeah, so it kind of just starts off as like a schoolgirl crush, like a little obsessive, but you know, you kind of get it to like by like the end of like the series, like she is literally trying to keep honey in an abusive friendship. Um so cuz basically she so she's aware that Dr. Kisaragi was her father, quote, quote. And she legitimately believes that Dr. Kisaragi is her biological father who passed away and that she's uh, she was adopted by two kindly rich people. And when, so she thinks Dr. Kisaragi loved her and, like, wanted to take care of her before he died. Um, but she kind of goes ballistic when she finds out about Miki and Honey. That the fact that they are also Dr. Kisaragi's children and have the same powers and all of that. And it kind of kind of gives her that descent into madness. Yeah. Which, okay. And then eventually this kind of turns into her determining, oh, I'm actually the true creation of Dr. Kisaragi. He created Honey to be spare parts for me. So therefore, I'm going to isolate Honey from everybody in her life to make sure nobody gets close to her so that when I need her for spare parts, she just goes away. Yeah, and it's kind of like, instead of being like, no, you're... And she never finds out the truth. Right, because Yuki doesn't want to tell her the truth. Is that she... Because that's part of Yuki's, like... Not Yuki, uh, Miki's, like, cross... Like, her. she believes it's her cross to bear of, like... I killed Dr. Kisaragi. Nobody can find out, like, what was actually going on. Like, I have to suffer yeah. this alone. And it's like, oh, get off the cross. We need the wood. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, to quote Letterkenny. Um, so, but yeah, Yuki never finds out the truth that Dr. Kisaragi didn't really care about her. Like, he cared about her enough to create android parents that would... And a ton of money that would, would always be there for her for the rest of her natural life, which is not going to be very long. Um, yeah. But. And uh, it wasn't. And uh, that was the thing. Like, she was a chronically ill girl. Uh, parents were uh, did not were not killed as horribly. Right. They were just kind of flashed away. Mm -hmm. Like. And. Uh, we don't even know, like, the, what her illness was. We just kind of know that she was sick in a hospital and she wasn't getting better. Yeah, and um, he took her in because, not because she was sick, but because of, she had the same birthday and blood type as his dead daughter. Yeah, so, he could fix her being sick, but it was still just like, eh, I don't care about you because you're sick, I care about you because you have the same blood type. Um, which, uh, not great. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, she never, so she never learns the truth that Dr. Kisaragi didn't care about her. She never even remembers, well, I think she remembers after she dies that she was sick before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's my favorite thing about, like, um, when we do find out her backstory is they film the backstory after they finish filming the rest of the series. Um, and the actress who played her, um, uh, Makoto Takeda, got a haircut between the two like the last episode and the special episode and so yuki in the afterlife just has a shorter haircut and it's never explained yeah it's, it's, she just got a ghost haircut as you put it 
Yeah, it's like, is there, is there ghost salons? Or does, does Honey have, like, inside of her in the, the metaphysical plane? There's this place where she can get her hair cut. Did Yuki just decide as a ghost that, like, I know I like this haircut better than, like, my my, my weird bangs and ponytail situation? Um, but, like, that's the only time in the series she's not given a terrible wig. Yeah, oh, God, her wigs were fucking terrible. Yeah, like, I, the, the hair, the, the wig situation in the series is not great, but, like, well, Yuki especially has terrible hair. And terrible wigs. It's like, oh no. They just what, did, took, what did she? What'd she do to the to the costuming department? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Um, but yeah, like they didn't give her a shitty wig in the special episode. It was never explained. She just has shorter. It was a cute haircut. Don't get me wrong. It was just weird to be like, okay, did she just have shorter hair before she met? Oh no, she has shorter hair in this scene where it's clearly after. You know what? Okay, whatever. Whatever, Fine. it's Toku. They don't demand a lot of attention to detail. No, I, clearly. Um, also, like, I just wanted to notate this about this. Like, each of them has like a different weapon because it's a hench. It's it's henshin. It's you know, it's transforming heroes. So of course they all have different weapons from each other. And where you know, Honey has the silver floret, like the sword, like she has in every other version. Um, Miki has a scythe. Yuki has a chakram that can do anything she wants it to. Like, it, like she's fucking Xena. <laughs> yeah, she grinds people's faces with it, chops up a, a dude. She can fly with it. Yeah, like, whatever. Oh, yeah, hold people, suspend people, and fly. It's, it's weird. Yeah, I don't... It, yeah, I think it, it was just sort of like, we just needed to do this. Um, there's a lot of it going on in the series, but, you know, that's, I think that's part of the charm, I guess. Yes. Ah. All right. So we've talked about our three main characters. So kind of let's jump into talking about the supporting cast. Uh, there's Natsuko Aki. Uh, yeah, so Natsuko, yeah. You, know, you go on, um, about her. I just think she's best girl. Yeah, Natsuko's pretty great here that she's not in it a lot, um, she's kind of mostly there to kind of help Honey navigate through the real world. And she's definitely tougher than she looks. Like, you notate here with the candy bar scene with the bullies. Yeah, it was kind of like a weird standoff scene where the bullies, I think it had to do with uh, trying to butter up Yuki or Miki to go against. Miki. Yeah, to go against uh, Honey. And Miki's like, whatever the fuck, I don't care. And uh, Natsuko kind of comes in and intervenes and just takes the chocolate bar that they were using to bribe Miki and just takes, like, several bites out of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a whole thing about, like, the one of the bullies is just like, they, I can't get in trouble. Like, I can even eat chocolate in school and they won't say anything to me. And so, which, okay. Um, which that actually turns out against her negatively later in, like, a sight gag. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, Natsuko just grabs the chocolate bar from him and starts eating from it like, she don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll take you on. Yeah, so, like, um, yeah, it's, like, in terms of, like, Cutie Honey as, like, a franchise, she's probably, like, the least developed Natsuko. Um, especially when we get into the movie, when we talk about the 2004 movie, like, especially compared to that, 
Um, which I think they tried to base her visually more on that Natsuko than like the manga or Flash or any other version of Natsuko. Okay. Like she had the, the dark hair and the glasses. Like if you really think about it. Mm-hmm. But she's not as developed as that one or any of the other Natsukos because like Natsuko's kind of like like Natsuko's always been like a supporting character in Cutie Honey, but most of the time she's kind of like she's a little bit more developed as kind of Honey's sidekick at school. Whereas here, like, not a lot happens with Natsuko besides her kind of sometimes helping drive the plot along or looking out for Honey or anything like that. But she kind of does go through a big character arc towards the end of the series um, when Honey's outed as an android. Yeah, when she finds out Honey is an android and has to come to terms with it and even reads up about it, which I found interesting as a, a visual cue that she was reading up about androids and everything. Like, she was... Because, like, earlier before she finds out, he, uh, Honey and her just have this kind of conversation where, uh, talking about how they would take care of each other if they were sick. And, uh, and it, and it kind of comes back later when, um, she, she does see, uh, Natsuko being yeah. sick and takes care of her, Honey. Um, but... Uh, I just found it interesting that throughout that entire time you see Honey, or Natsuko, um, reading up on androids. Yeah, and I think it's she was just trying to understand. Um, and it was just kind of, like, hard for her to kind of come to terms with that. Um, I, I, I think it was just more of, like, she was just trying to understand what she now knows about her, her best friend. And she, I don't think she outright rejects Honey. She like she didn't outright reject Honey, but I think she was just kind of having trouble processing and kind of just went along with everyone else while that was going on. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's very sad, but eventually she, when Honey takes care of her, she understands that Honey hasn't changed. Nothing about Honey has changed. Um... She's still the same honey as before. Yeah. She's not suddenly cold and emotionless. She's she's honey. And they make up and there's a really cute thing where she ends up giving her a pair of panties for her birthday. Yeah, it, it was the same pair Uh-oh. that... Um, it wasn't the like, exact same pair. It was a like one of the, the same pattern of ones she stole. Yeah, honey stole a pair of like uh, panties from Natsuko because they're basically roommates. And um, stole a pair of panties from Natsuko with fawns on, on the pattern. And then, so that's the pair that, um, pe- same, similar pair with the same pattern Natsuko gives her for her birthday and as apology gift for kind of blowing her off. Mm-hmm. And it's really sweet. And then Natsuko does, barely shows up in the series after that. Yep. She just kind of gets, kind of gets written out. Thanks, Inoue. Inoue and women. We'll get to that in a minute. But, yeah, so, I mean, she's kind of the first uh, major reoccurring character that carries over from the rest of Cutie Honey. So let's talk about the next one, which would be Seiji. Useless like a cis man should be. Yeah, um, Seiji Hayami in most versions of Cutie Honey is pretty useless. Like, he's helpful in some cases, but not most of the time. In this particular version, he is kind of (laughs) creepy. Like, he's not the creep... Oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, you said he wasn't the creepiest you've seen, but he was kind of creepy. Yeah, because he's like, he's very obsessed with women. Like, it's an entire thing for like the first several episodes that he'll meet various women that he's very he he's interested in and like wants to date them, even though they're, they're like professional clients. Um, yeah, yes, because he's horny, and that's I guess that's his character motivation. And then, like, he meets Miki, and he tries to, like, express his feelings for her, and she just tears up the letter. And that happens for, like, an episode. Yeah, I'm like, you just met her, and you're in love with her? What the fuck? Yeah, and then he spends the rest of the series obsessed with Yuki. Like, even going as far as to record her as she wakes up in the morning. Yeah, that was super weird. Yeah, and he's like... Uh, it's like don't don't get dressed near the window there could be creeps about and i was like so how would you define yourself sir just is creepy uh he was only smart for like a split second to track honey when not uh when natsuka was noticing honey was missing and this was during the final arc and uh but he, he's mostly yum dumb and full of as the joke goes full of you know wink <laughs> wink but yeah, he's he's definitely, as you notated, a millennial mood. Um, so, because he's a freelance journalist who moonlights as a private detective. Um, he isn't paid well. And while he says he's living under a bridge because he's researching how um, Japan treats its homeless and kind of the demonish pra- capitalist practices of Japan, uh, I think he's... It's, I think it just seems like he's poor and can't really live anywhere else and probably got kicked out of his parents' house. Yeah. Um, also, we're seeing clothes for some reason. It was 2007. It was, but it, it's just a millennial mood. You just are wearing seeing clothes for no reason. Yeah. He, the pants that he wears in the series are, wow. <laughs> they're real bad. So, uh, yeah, and his actor often shows up in... Um, and Inoue stuff, uh, Shuma Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. I think I'm getting his first name correct. Mm-hmm. Um, Sh- uh, Shoma, I did not recognize. I was like, why is he familiar? And then I looked him up and I'm like, oh, it is because I'm mostly used to seeing him as a serious role. Like he was one of the main antagonists in Kiva and all mm-hmm. this stuff. So I'm like, oh, I'm used to you being serious. Right. And so I guess we move on to our next um, support, major supporting character, which is uh, Jensan. Um, so Jensan kind of fills the role of Seiji's dad in this version. Um, so instead of having Danbei Hayami, you have uh, Jensan, the wise old bum. The wise old bum who could cook and deep fry anything, including what we think was a pterodactyl. Yeah, there was a there was a visual gag where he gave Honey something to eat after she had been passed out, and it looked clearly looked like a baby pterodactyl skeleton um, that was deep fried, and just like, where did you find that? And he just always, anytime somebody asks him where he finds something, he just says he found it in the swamp and doesn't answer any further. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, okay, I guess we're we're having swamp meat for dinner. Um. honey's fine with it but i think honey's like just likes food she doesn't care where it comes from yeah she's a carnivorous eater yeah i'm sure you could give her like human meat and she would probably just be like this is delicious oh god 
which that 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 would that sounds like something that would be in tears if they made honey eat in tears. Uh, hopefully not, but we'll get to that in our next episode. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about fun shit. Yeah, so Jensen is interesting, and especially kind of he gets his biggest character moment in the same episode we mentioned before, the value of existence, and because he becomes a henshin hero with a suit made of cardboard. <laughs> Yeah, he, he is a homeless henchin hero, and it's great. And he fights alongside Honey. And, like, the, the, the his fellow, like, homeless people help him, like, fly through the air with, like, a, a crane and a and a cable. And it's, it's, it's very silly and very fun. And there's an entire sequence where he tries to do the same Flash Honey does. Yeah. And he's like, Jensen, Flash! And then a bunch of homeless people just take his clothes off. Yes. Oh my god! If you're if you if you see our show notes, it's we'll show you the like warning image that pops up when that happens. Um, but yeah, he's he's fun, but he's not there for much. Yeah, he's not the he's just kind of a fun side character there. I didn't even know he had a name until I was we were doing show notes. Right? Yeah, he um yeah he kind of is mostly there to fill in plot details because he he's always alluding the fact that he gets information from the from japan's homeless network and and that he says that you know information travels from the like through the fifteen thousand homeless people that live in japan and that's that's 2007 numbers i don't know what the current one is now and uh he just gives honey increasingly weird things to eat and kind of is like the the king of all the homeless people that uh seiji interacts with yeah um but she's fun um, and then finally, our last supporting character, even though he's not really there for a lot of it, is going to be uh, Dr. Kisaragi, who, oh my god, he is the most asshole version of Dr. Kisaragi. I have, I, I'm still working my way through Cutie Honey, admittedly, but like, he is the most asshole version of Dr. Kisaragi that I have seen in this franchise. Um, because as we mentioned before, he goes through two girls before he decides you know what i'm just gonna make an android to replace my daughter that he didn't care for until she died yeah so like it's basically there's a whole thing uh, that we find out in the um the special episode uh which they actually had uh gonagai uh the creator of cutie honey playing dr kisaragi's body i guess in that sense because he doesn't actually talk uh all Mm -hmm. of dr kisaragi's lines are done through a voiceover done by uh Tanaguchi Takahashi, Takashi, sorry, um, who's got more of a kind of a deep dramatic voice. Not yeah. quite like this, but like, you know, when he talks, it's got gravitas. Um, yes. So he, like, yeah, he ends up, yes, you find out, he's trying to create a new daughter because he accidentally killed his daughter while trying to create the honey system. And uh, he didn't really give a shit about his daughter before that. Uh, just sort of like his, like the implication is that her mother left and she got left behind and he just sort of like buries himself in his work and he doesn't really kind of care about her until like she like walks into the test of the honey system and just disappears. So yep. she's dead and there is nothing left behind of her. Great job. You took your parenting from Jotaro. Uh, father of the year right there. 
I and think so, Dr. Kisaragi is worse, and this version of Dr. Kisaragi is worse than Jotaro. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm going to take your word for that. Um, jo- jo- because, Jotaro is more like if Miki was a parent. Right. Oh, no. I mean, because, like, we're not... Because like, I've only watched um, Diamond is Unbreakable with you, so I don't really see Dad Jotaro. You see, like... Yeah, you don't get to see him until part six, which cross my fingers. I, I, Hopefully. I, I, JoJo seems big. I have a good feeling it'll happen. Yeah. Knock on wood. Um, but anyway. So, yeah. So, he decides after he kills, like, accidentally kills his daughter. I'm just gonna say that every time we talk about the fact. Because he's like, oh, my daughter died. It's like, no, you accidentally killed your daughter. And you are trying to absolve yourself of that responsibility by creating a new one. Um... <laughs> Yeah. So he so he goes through two girls, decides he needs to do the same thing, is that they need to have the same blood type and the same birthday, because that's how you create a daughter, apparently. Um, <laughs> Not sex the old-fashioned way. No, I need the same blood type and the same birthday. It's mad scientist logic. Um, but yeah, so he, so he first gets Miki, which we described how he obtains her. Um, so... After he kills her parents in a fucking car crash, uh, erases her memory and implants the honey system in her. Like, he talks about how, like, oh, he did love her. He did treat her as a daughter. Until, like, it was very clear the honey system in her was flawed. And so then he outright rejects her. And while she was, like, out with her, like, hanging out with her boyfriend, he um, kidnaps Yuki, kills her parents, um, erases her memory... Um, he does have a little bit more grace with her, uh, yeah, in terms he of, kind like, of invent- like, when he finds out that her honey system is flawed, he gives her, pa- like, he builds her parents and gives her a lot of money. Yeah. Which, you know, lives out the rest of her natural life, which is not going to be very long. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he did all of this because he went mad with grieving after he accidentally killed his daughter, and it's like... Okay, you could have just... I mean, because it's presented as that Honey... Not not Honey. Miki and Yuki were failed experiments. And, like, he's just like, Well, this is what I learned from the other one. Like, time to do the next one. Well, the two, like, trying to adapt this with two actual, like, living, breathing girls did not work. So I'm just going to create a robot. Meat morp. Meat morp. Burr. Soup. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. We're so stupid. <laughs> we are. But, yeah, so he ends up getting killed by Miki, as we mentioned before, for good reason. And you know what? I'm glad he's gone. Hope he, I'm glad he deserved, he's gone, too. Yeah. He, <laughs> he deserved to die, and I hope he's burning in hell. <laughs> um, and this is, like, right after Miki finds out. We'll get to the how this line was written. But she finds out he killed her parents. Yeah, cause, no, 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 he wrote it in a journal. He wrote it in a journal. And, like, because, I mean, uh, the describing, like, the motivation behind just dropping Miki, like, a hot plate was already bad enough. But then, like, he just adds tax on at the end. Also, I killed her parents. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Like, just by the way. I killed your parents. Uh, like, she's, like, he's planning on her to read it or something. Like... Jesus. Writing. Uh, 
Though, admittedly, like, the timeline of how that's expressed is a little weird. Like, there's kind of an implication that, like, he doesn't completely send Yuki, like, Miki away before, like, he rejects her. I don't know. Either way. This series doesn't really care a lot in terms of continuity, I don't think. Oh, it's way. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, speak, speaking of Inoue, one of his um, many actors that shows up, Kohei Murakami, Murak- uh, yes. shows up as Yuji Naka- Nakajo, Nakajo, one of many personalities. Yeah, Yuji is probably the most offensive character in this entire series. <laughs> um... So we're, we're getting into our villains now. And so Yuji is introduced as one of the members of Panther Claw. And so his whole thing is that he has some form of like, they don't say if it's like, you know, they don't claim it's like schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder or whatever, but he has some sort of mental illness where he has multiple personalities inside of him that kind of alternate when they come out. Yeah. Um, typically it's Yuji, kind of his base one and then there's um hikomaru who is um a small child yeah who's um very likes, likes milk and it's very childish yeah so i think he's sort of a trickster but like not uh not like outright evil but then like he also has a demonic personality named giza who also has like wings that come out uh, and it, I would like to note that he he mostly uh, his each one of the panther claws in this has a body modification of some sort. Mm-hmm. His is kind of bird like. He even wears a like feather necklace. But when yeah. Giza comes out, it's bat wings. Yeah, because that makes sense. Um, that makes total sense. So, but he, he kind of alternates between those three personalities for most of the series. Giza's the one Honey likes, by the way. Yeah, so it's like, why do you like the weird demonic one, Honey? I don't understand. Um, monster fucker, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. But then, like, because of Honey's obsession with him, he kind of ends up absorbing some of that and develops a new fourth personality named Hikaru. Which, (laughs) oh, God. I'm just going to apologize to Jay again up front um, on this. And this is also an apology to the rest of our listeners. So, um, when I initially watched Cutie Honey, I only got to about episode 15. Um, Not for, like, dropping the series or anything like that. It was just sort of like, it was 2007, so therefore finding streams of stuff was harder. Um, Versus, like, easily finding, like, downloads on tv nihon or um anime manga exchange or whatever and so i was not aware of the hikaru personality and how blatantly transphobic it is it is so this is like in a way just feels like how can i make the most offensive character know the man is it's the only way i can dictate how this happened other than I, I kind of know that writer, and I think he thought it would be, like, hilarious. Yeah, and it's, like, it's very much played up like you would expect a man dressed as a woman um, comedy to kind of come across. Like, 
Maybe he's supposed to be a menacing villain. So, it's almost as treated like he's a demented pervert. Yeah, so, like, it's... Yeah, so it's not even, like, the kind of, like, thing of, like, oh, this it's a man dressing in women's clothing. Like, no, it's it's that, but also mixed up with, like, it's it's a man with a woman as part of his, like, one of his personalities... And, like, he's playing this up as, like, kind of a demented pervert who, like, only wants to be beautiful and basically kind of want this entire vibe of wanting to wear honey's skin as a mask. Yeah. It's... I mean, okay. I mean, just to be honest, I, I love Cutie Honey, but, like, there's a little bit of transphobia kind of baked into the series to begin with because of, um, and I mentioned this to Jay, but I haven't really talked about it on the podcast, is that there's a character in the original manga named uh, Nako. Nako? Um, that she is presented as being very, like, her her body is basically, like, a like they, it's it, she's drawn to basically just be a giant man in a schoolgirl costume. And so she's very burly and, like, She's barely got any boobs, and it's 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 basically in trying to imply that she's actually a man. Um, I think Cutie Honey Gogo, the manga, you know, made her look more feminine. Um, and like, and a lot of other versions since that version have kind of presented Nako as a character as kind of if she's there as more feminine, maybe like a little more heavy set, but not like man. Um. She's yeah. a, she is a character in Kitty Honey Universe, and she has a body type closer to the manga, but they've kind of cut down on the, like the over transphobia there. So I can give it that at least. <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of an unfortunate side effect of having a series that was created in 1973, and this the attitude of Hikaru here is very much treated a little like. 1973 yeah or at, at the very at the very most uh science of the lambs type situation you're right and it's oh god it was so bad and that's the personality he has through the rest of the series too like as soon as that hikaru uh personality hits um he kind of just reverts to that to the entire series and even dies as her yeah and, like, there's, an, there's, like, a sequence when he dies of, like, he looks into a pond and sees a reflection of all of his personalities, including that one, um, who is dressed as honey. And he's just, like, lovely, and then dies. It's like, cool, that sucked. <laughs> that sucked. Um, that's really a shame, because Kohi is a very much an actor that's, like, a Sam Rockwell type that... Mm -hmm. loves just basically loves acting yeah he is out of all of the panther claw villains he kind of has like the most fun with the role like him and mark musashi both and we're about to get into him um like he's very clearly having fun chewing the scenery and like especially when he's playing like hikamaru like yeah. he's very into acting like a child um, like the, like, you know, to hear the bar scene, like there's an entire scene in the bar where he goes to talk to Duke and, uh, he's kind of quickly reverting between Yuji and Hikamaru and yeah. it kind of involves a bar, a, a joke with the bartender in the background. 
where he initially orders a martini, gets the martini, and then Hikamaru pops out and he's just like, gross, give me orange juice. And then he reverts back to when the orange juice pops, he reverts back to Yuji and he's just like, what is this? I asked for a martini. Yeah. Uh, you're probably right. That that guy, uh, that bartender probably wanted to kill him. Yeah. Um. I've uh, got also got stuck with a bad wig. Yeah. So the whole thing about Hikaru is that you know, Hikaru basically wants to be honey. Um. So at some point, like, uh, he manages to actually replicate the flash powers, uh, by burning through a couple of Panther Claw um subordinates. I might add. And, um, can transform into, like, a, a Flash version, and, like, it's a very bad costume and a very bad wig. Yeah, I think that was, like, a late edition, and so the costume department was just like, fuck it, we're not putting any effort into this. Also, like, why does he have breasts formed with that outfit? Yeah, that he, I think he actually, like, pulls them out and throws them at one point. Yes. It's so... Ugh. Ugh. Um, <sighs> let's go to Duke Seiya Anthony Watari the Fourth. There's four of these motherfuckers. There's four of these motherfuckers. Um, so as we mentioned, yeah, Duke Seiya Anthony Watari the Fourth. Um, so he's a rich asshole. So the implication is, is that all four of the Panther Claw villains that you meet in the series all run a different division. Yuji runs gambling that literally playing with human lives mm-hmm. um duke uh he does like uh body modifications for living weapons yeah and so he yeah he's just this rich asshole whose entire vibe is that he hates guest services people and wants to speak to the manager constantly so he's like a, a total martial artist karen yeah it's like i i wish to speak to the manager yeah uh, it's like, do you know how much this suit costs? Uh, he also, because of the body modification thing, he often, uh, he has blade feet, which was really stupid because it worked at first and then he kept on getting them ripped out by Yuki. Yeah, and then kept going back to get them replaced. It's like, at some point, you should probably just give up on that body modification. Yes. Um. So he's interesting in this series because he, it's, so it's heavily implied that like uh, Duke is Japanese American, um, which is true of the actor Mark Musashi. Uh, which which series did you say you first saw him in? Ah, uh, Shibuya Fifteen. Okay, and so that's yeah. So Mark Musashi is definitely more is known for kind of playing more of those roles where he can because he can speak English and Japanese, and so it's an entire thing where with Duke where he will switch between. He'll speak in Japanese and then speak in English. And then he kind of becomes known for, because he'll do the calm, like, well, even spoken demeanor. But then something goes wrong and he just starts cursing in English. Yeah. And mostly he's known for, like, when something goes wrong, he just yells, shit. shit! Um, so, yeah, that's just sort of what he becomes known for, for the first half of the series. And then... So Yuki kicks his ass three times, and that third time she actually ends up killing him. She chops him up. Yeah, he is, yeah, like a horror movie villain, and she's gleefully laughing the entire time she does it too. It's it's real creepy. Um, 
So after he's cut up by Yuki, he ends up, I don't know if they find, like, copy his body or if they take his body parts and kind of just hollow them out and put an android in there. Doesn't It's not really explained. But he, for the rest of the series, he's kind of like this docile, like, karate android. I think this is what Jay wrote here. For, for Yuji. Yeah. So, and then kind of also working for Hikaru as a extension of that. Um, because I think the only word he actually says whenever he's in, in that android form is sorry. Yeah. And he kind of gets his ass kicked again multiple times. And then um, reverts back to his original uh, personality before he dies. He kills Hikaru, Hikaru, I think, before he dies. Somebody yeah. kills, kills, kills Hikaru. And, yeah. um... He just dies because Inoue doesn't care. And he just has his personality back where he's like, You shit, motherfucker! It's like, this co- you know how much this cost? You son of a bitch! Yeah, I don't remember everything he said, but it had that vibe. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, that was just sort of... It was a little anticlimactic, especially because he got built up as one of the two big villains for the first, like, ten episodes. Yeah. And then, I guess, along the way, when they started introducing the other two Panther Claw villains, and then Yuki was on her, like, Megalomaniacal rampage, he sort of got sidelined. And yeah, um, I, they were like, well, we gotta end his character arc. <laughs> yeah. Yuji and Duke just kind of originally started out as the big bads, and then as more Panther Claw was introduced, like... And when Yuki just kind of finally resolved to be the big bad, it's kind of like, oh, well, we got to do something about Yuji and Duke. Yeah. Well, um, I guess we'll move on. We've talked, just mentioned that there are other Panther Claw villains. So let's move on to them. The first one being uh, Mayumi Karasugawa, um, who is the only deranged lesbian out of this Panther Claw bunch. Yeah. Um, so... Basically here, this is like another interesting comparison, and we'll get more into this later, um, is that most of Panther, most versions of Panther Claw in adapt like the original manga as well as adaptations, are mostly, if not all, women. Minus like the goons, because I think the goons are all artificially created men. Um, but like the main villains of the weeks that you'll see every week or whatever are all women. And this version of that, and I'll get more into this later, this version doesn't really have many women. Um, and Mayumi is the closest that we have to Sister Jill, who is the bag, who is like the main baddie, uh, the queen barrel, if you will, of most of Cutie Honey. And so she's closest to Sister Jill, but I think they also took some information, and we'll talk more about the 2004 movie when we get to it. Um, she's also the closest to Cobalt Claw from the 2004 movie. So she's like this deranged lesbian with sentient hair that has like an egg fetish. That egg thing was Uh, so fucking weird with the, like, okay, so she would like eat a whole egg and then regurgitate it out. Like the yolk and stuff out on a student, mainly a girl, um, and it would, she would be, like, under, like, a curtain. Yeah, okay, so they do actually notate that Mayumi is a lesbian. Like, that is 
notated in the series. Uh, as I said, she's a deranged lesbian. She is actively predatory towards teenage girls. Yeah. Um, she has an egg. Fa- they don't explain the egg thing. I don't know if this is like a source of her powers, if this is just a fixation for her, but she can unhinge her jaw, eat eggs whole, and then spit them right back out. Um, she also has a magic opera voice that can control people. That only comes up once. <laughs> uh, she hurts my brain. Um, but she also, um, she runs a school that's a panther claw. That's her thing is she runs this panther claw front, uh, that, um, basically takes in these kids and they're going to be their future. Yeah, and, uh, like, I forget what they call it, but it's very clearly represented by a clam. Yeah. So I think it's, like, you know, they put the pressure on, like, they're the clam putting the pressure on the students to become pearls or something like that. I don't know. Probably. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I don't, maybe it's some sort of pun that I'm just not thinking of or didn't really catch because I'm I'm an English speaker. Um, But, yeah, she also ties up men a lot. And and specifically (laughs) in Kinbaku. Right, and it's not done as a kinky way. It's mostly just to be a, as a humiliation kind of tactic because she does not care about men at all. Nope. Um, you know, mood. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she ends up kind of. She has students that she is kind of in a relationship with, or has is kind of stringing them along. But then, like, she meets. Miki and decides that I am obsessed with Miki and I want to like I have fallen in love with Miki I want to date her all of that stuff it's it's weird yeah but it ends up kind of giving her like a heel face turn for Miki towards the end of the series um and that she helps Honey save Miki when uh Miki ends up dying from her um from her condition as it were um, you know, kind of voiced her onto Yuki's android parents and, like, wants to give her a life that she can actually live. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, they end up fighting it out, and then, like, Miki goes back to, uh, Miyumi. Well, Miyumi's actually dying, because Miki stabbed her. Yeah. <laughs> she goes back to Mayumi and begs her to save Honey. And... Mayumi tries to play the whole, like, I don't actually love you anymore, um, but I will help you anyway. And they do kind of have a nice moment towards the end where, like, right before Miki dies, she, like, holds Mayumi's hand and thanks her for helping her. And then, so, at the end, Mayumi dies on a boat holding Miki's dead body, finally confessing to her that I didn't stop loving you. And it's like, you know, this would be romantic if this, everything preceding it didn't happen. Yeah, it was, what was it? I, I, we were laughing at that scene and I was just like, nice boat. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened. That happened. Uh, At least she was pretty. Yeah, she was pretty, and um, the thing is also about the series is that, because she's a reoccurring character, obviously, um, the series kept forgetting that she had scars from fighting Honey and Miki. Oh, yeah, that was so funny. Like, yeah, like if you remembered, remembered it from- one episode when it was important. 
Yeah. But because like she, the first episode she encounters Miki, she ends up getting like these burn scars on her hand. And uh, so she ends up like, in the next episode you see her, she's wearing gloves because uh, she doesn't want to expose those scars. Um, and then at the end of the episode, she gets a scar on her face, I believe, from uh, Miki. And she like swears revenge. And then the next episode we see her, like, I think they forgot to put the gloves on her and the scar's not there. And then, like, towards the end of the series, they put, like, lace gloves on her, but they still forget that her face was scarred and she was real mad about it. Yep. I'm like, oh, God, this fucking show. <laughs> we're, we're almost done, the characters. We have one yes, more it's true. We have one more Panther Claw to go, and that's Hiromi Tananaka and her Goldar husband. We didn't even get his name, so we just called him Tananaka-san. Yeah, so Hiromi, is, she's kind of my favorite of the Panther Claw villains. I know, she rules. Yeah, so she's like the final one to actually make it through the rest of the series. Because, like, everyone else was the serious weirdo. And she kind of gets treated as a joke character. But, like, she's the one to think, oh, I can just manipulate Yuki into doing what I want. Yeah, even comes up and... with a device to have her, like, like basically take over Yuki's system. Or Yuki's system. Yeah, so, like, you know, she's smart. Um, I think that's because, like, she's the kind of the slumlord of her neighborhood. That That's how she gets money for Pantherclaw. Yeah. Is that she introduces stuff like the existence tax or um, the beautification, like, project where, like, if people litter and they're given these glasses that control them and make them rob places for, like, 50,000 yen or something like that. Um, so that's how, like, she raises money, by being a literal slumlord who, like... Also is a fishmonger. Yeah, she's a fishmonger. And that comes up because she, um... uh, She has this whole thing where she uses frozen fish as weapons. And cannons in her stomach. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, as you notated here, they look just how the budget feels. (laughs) Yeah, they're pretty bad. Yeah, because, like... She pulls, she'll pull up her shirt and, like, just, it has this big, it's clearly this big fake belly that she'll pull back and launch these cannons from her sides. And it's, um, yeah, it's real dumb. Um, and the, the CG effect for it is also real dumb. dumb. But you were saying, I, I interrupted with you with the fishmonger, but you are also saying, like, she exploits people? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of her thing, is that she exploits poor people for money to get money for Panther Claw. So she's the true capitalist of them all. Yes. Um, um, her husband is kind of useless, but knows martial arts, but he's pretty much her Goldar. Yeah, and, like, there's a funny gag that, like, well, first it seems like they hate each other, but she does actually really love him. Yeah. Um... Even if he is utterly useless, there is kind of a funny gag that whenever he's kind of in fighting mode, he, like, ties, like, this flag around his, like, um, neck. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't, since I don't really read Japanese, I don't know what it says or what it's supposed to represent. Yeah. Um, but that's just kind of what he does. And it's, yeah, he's useless, but he's funny. And they, they compliment each other well. And there's, like, one, I remember one scene that they're basically trying to catch up with him. Giza and Honey, mm-hmm. and they end up kind of playing a game of chicken. Yeah. So yeah, they're usually pretty entertaining when they're on screen together. Very much an old married couple. Yeah, and she was she was kind of killed uneventfully with her own hubris. All the all the Panther Claw just kind of die uneventfully. 
Yeah, because they're either killed by Yuki or they kill each other. Um, or in the case of, like, Mayumi, she gets stabbed by Miki. Um, which, you know, she deserved that. Yeah. Um... So, and then the last characters we're just going to mention here is, like, we call them the Goldar Bullies. Um, and they're these these three bullies that go to Honey's school. And they're supposed to be, like, the popular girls. But they really dislike Honey for some reason. They never go into why. They're just like, we don't like Honey. Yeah. I think probably just because they think she's weird. Uh, it just reminded me of Degrassi Next Generation, where they would hate people for, like, little to no reason at all. Like, we don't like you now. Because you got high at a party. <laughs> yeah, it was a little like that. And mostly, like, I, we didn't even catch their names. Because um, it was just, like, it's, it was just really weird that most everybody in the series, like, most everybody that Honey goes to school with dislikes her. Because, like, that's one very different from every other version of Cutie Honey where she goes to a school. Um, which I think they were just trying to riff on, uh, again, the 2004 movie. Which mm-hmm. we'll get to that. Because, um, yeah, most everybody likes her. Except these three. And they're mostly, they don't really do much. And they're kind of just mostly there to, like, drive the plot along in, like, school episodes. Um, like, they, like, I remember the episode where they first introduced Mayumi. Because um, the whole thing about why Mayumi starts becoming obsessed with Miki is that she initially thinks Miki is honey. And the reason she thinks that is because these three bullies are just like, like, tell Miki, like, you're going to pretend to be honey and do terrible things so that when everybody, like, like, is a victim of the ter- these terrible things, we'll tell them it's Honey Kisaragi and then Honey will leave. That's literally all they contribute to that plot is, oh, we're going to make you pretend to be honey so she'll leave. And since um, Mayumi driving by thinks she's honey... It's a whole thing. That that's literally all they're there for is to drive the plot. And they suck. They are useless. They are Goldar. They are Goldar. Um, but yeah, that's all the characters worth mentioning. Uh, now we're on odds and ends. Uh, we de- you definitely really, because you really uh, are passionate about Cutie Honey and everything. Um, you want to go into how Panther Claw is very different in this version. Yeah, and so basically, as I mentioned before, uh, Panther Claw and most other versions of Cutie Honey is very um, female. Uh, just using that in the more general sense of the term. Um, so the Panther Claw villains you'll see from week to week are usually women. Um, whereas here, there's only really two women that are head of Panther Claw. Uh, but it's very, it's very male-driven. But also, like, they're very uh, much a, more of a capitalist shadow organization here versus, like, with most versions of Cutie Honey, they're more a bunch of, like, kind of monsters trying to appease, like, an elder goddess named Panther Zora. Um, so it was really weird to see it go from, like, specifically worshipping Panther Zora and trying to steal riches and jewels and anything worthwhile for panther zora to oh we're a bunch of capitalists trying to make money and exploit people and like they never really explain why they call them panther claw it's that they are panther claw and they exist they have an actual panther claw yeah it's like this metal like claw that like whenever somebody pledges their life to panther claw like they have to 
put it on. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Um, and as we mentioned before, this is also the only, this is one of two, well, okay. One of three adaptations that has multiple honeys. The first one being Cutie Honey Flash with, uh, Cutie Honey and Misty Honey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this one, which obviously they did it because they wanted to have more of like a tokusatsu, common writer, uh, super sentai feel. And so having multiple people with a, a similar powers definitely gets that. Isn't this um, Toei as well? Like Toei mm-hmm. created it? Yeah. Um, so which makes sense. And then, yeah. um, so the third adaptation I mentioned, which we're not really going to talk about because um, it's not out yet, actually. Uh, is that there's a stage show coming out called Cutie Honey Emotional, um, which is going to be running in Japan on, on like June 6th through 8th, not June, um, February 6th through 8th. So it's definitely, it's, it'll, maybe by the time you're listening to this, it's out, but there's like eight different versions of honey in that one. Not, not just Cutie Honey, but like all these different, like black honey and i forget all of their names but there's like so many different like people with honey powers and they're all played by formal idol group members so they're just basically an idol group of honeys um so and it's just kind of interesting to see how those three things are done in comparison to one another especially because kitty honey flash was made to be more of like a 90s magical girl anime versus Mm -hmm. like kitty honey the live where it's a 2000s tokusatsu um henshin hero i think i'm that adult yeah um and so as i've been the one doing the talking here do you want to talk a little bit about the existence tax episode yeah um and i get why you're very passionate about cutie honey it's just like uh, i could just i I, so i've just been very passive and letting you talk right um but yeah the existence tax episode um it kind of goes into one of the things um, Inoue is very good at is writing comedy. Uh, he actually wrote a comedy uh, series before this, uh, which I will put in the show notes. I don't want to, like, butcher the name mm-hmm. of it. Um, but he he's known for writing comedy as well as, like, that's what a lot of people remember from Jetman is the comedy of it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. the ramen noodle god. Okay. And, um, so he wrote an episode that was basically based around the homeless population and Jensen and the existence tax, but, and it had us like generally laughing our asses off at the same time. I really kind of like it as like a take on things that are going on in the world of like, yeah, yeah, it just feels like you're being taxed to be exist. And when you could just like basically, yeah. And honey having to learn that lesson of. I can just exist as honey. I don't have to try to justify, you know, being a human or being an android to, you know, be someone who exists in the world. But yeah, no, it's, a, it, it's I think that was our favorite episode was the existence tax episode because it not only had that lesson for honey of like, you could just exist in the world. It was just a genuinely funny episode. Yeah, and I think it, it was kind of, because it, it's the last episode to happen before shit really starts going down in the series. So I think they kind of made it to kind of be that last moment of levity um, before things got really bad. Because I think in like the next episode, like, I'm checking my notebook here, because I think in the next episode, 
uh, is when Honey learns what happened to Dr. Kisaragi and Yuki kind of starts going truly mad and you know that's when like the final plot really starts to kick in so it, it was it was a nice reprieve before things got really depressing and then our our favorite line ever also i killed her parents <sighs> so God, i'm just this is ashley's first inoue series and inoue kind of has a love hate it love him or hate him his toke is very much a, a love or hate thing as opposed to a lot of his anime writing which is mostly ad- adapting um, one of the things I hate him for the most is Kiva. It is the common writer I still have not finished because I hate it so much. Yeah. Um, which Jay notated here, and it's one of her very favorite lines from one of her very favorite British comedies, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, about, you know, is, I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. Yes. He is, he is very much like a lot of things hit us over the head with Cutie Honey to Lie that was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, subtext is for cowards. Um, I was like, oh, God. It was just reminded me of, like, watching Fives again. And mm-hmm. then his big thing, like, the reason why Miki is so much, like, all about not communication and everything and why the big drama happens with Miki, Yuki, and Honey mm-hmm. is because of Inoue's favorite trope of, hey, if you would just talk about this, this shit wouldn't happen. Which is pretty much is why Fives happens the way it does. Oh, God, why? Just talk about your problems. Um, but yeah, that, that was that. And not, yeah, the series is not very subtle with its writing and, you know, definite, your definition of good. Eh. Um... So something I found interesting, and this is definitely calls into the I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards category, um, is the use of the cards uh, suits with um, each of the girls. Uh, if I remember right from uh, Kitty Honey Flash, I want to say that Misty Honey was either represented by a spade or a diamond. I can't remember which at this hot second. I have to look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but, you know, Honey has is represented by the heart, Miki is represented by the spade, and uh, Yuki is represented by the diamond. And I, I was always, I was kind of interested in that and just like, okay, why is it that you're doing this? And why is there not a fourth one who's a club? As it turns out, there is a fourth one who was the club. It was the original Honey that Kisaragi accidentally killed with a flash system. Because when there's a scene in the special episode about uh, Dr. Hisaragi kind of, you know, explaining what he did. with his, Because he, uh, it's supposed to be Seiji reading from his notebook. Um, he picks up a card uh, that has a note on it uh, from his daughter wishing him good luck. And it's written on the Ace of Clubs. What's up? Let's uh, we have one more thing on odds and ends that we noted, but we already talked about the transphobia. Yeah, so Hikaru is not really the only the Hikaru is the major case of transphobia in this series, but there is one other case of it that kind of is a brief sight gag, gag I say yeah. loosely. Um, and it happens in the episode that I previously mentioned about like um, Miyumi thinking uh, Miki is honey. So Miyomi is coming around killing people with the last name of Kisaragi. And um, one of the girls she comes across is this very blatant man in a wig, like, dressed up to be a schoolgirl. 
So it's supposed to be this mannish girl, and I'm just going like, what the fuck is going on? And it yeah, just, it's... It just made me... It just unsettled me a little bit. Like, because I was yeah. like, is this a trans girl? And then I realized, it's like, no, this is written by a cis dude who's very heterosexual, so no. Yeah. And again, apologies for that. Um, I to- One, I had totally forgotten about that gag. And two, I had not known about Hikaru before we uh, went into the series. So I would have... If I had known better, I would have warned you better. Nah, it's all right. So, um, I guess now that we've talked about that, I want to talk like talk about our final verdict. So for me, I'm always going to have a special place in my heart for this series because it was the first Cutie Honey I had ever watched, and you know it's got you know kind of got that memory for me, kind of first seeing it in high school and kind of starting like a a, a low key love of it that's kind of got, got grown a little bit more, especially as we were getting ready for this. Um, and it's like, especially reminds me of, again, my friend Sam, who I've known for about as long as, um, as, as Jules, a little bit shorter, but like nearly about the same amount of time. And, um, you know, and it's a, it's a good reference point for the two of us. But while this series is very entertaining in a lot of places, it is not good. (laughs) It is really not good. Yeah, like, I I will hate Edaway until I die. He is my nemesis. Um, but he could be very entertaining. Uh, and this was him more trying and I think being on an adapter instead of his own original. Which he does show with the anime stuff he writes is he's more of an adapter. Um, and it was better than Kiva where he was just not trying at all and didn't care. Uh, however, uh, my brain melted trying to cram all those. Yeah, mine did too. Like, I didn't remember this series being as brain melty, but then again, I was watching it on, like, a weekly basis, like, back in 2007, so. Yeah. We were, yeah, we, we marathoned through this trying to, we marathoned, like, the majority of the season, series in one day. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. It's like Delta Airlines and life is a fucking nightmare. But yeah. All in all, we we are like, it's so bad it's good. Yeah, so I mean if you if you want to watch something that's like entertaining, um, don't marathon it like we did. Um like le- learn from our hubris. But if you're looking for something that's kind of silly and mostly lighthearted, like you could do worse. But yeah, um, so I guess we're going to move towards the end of the episode here. So, as always, we want to thank uh, Joe Hunter for our awesome podcast art. Uh, you can find him online, I believe. Is it Joe underscore Hunter on Twitter? Yes, uh, Joe underscore Hunter. Yes, and his uh, series with Land, Pen- uh, Land Pits, uh, Beast, uh, is it Beast Heart Strikers? I think so. Yeah, it just hit Comixology. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, so definitely keep an eye out for that. And he's always, it's he's a tokusatsu-based series. Yeah, it's a tokusatsu-based series. Joe really likes toku. So if you want to commission him, I know he's usually pretty open for commissions as well. Um, he's currently doing, um, Pokemon, uh, as of this podcast recording, he's doing a Pokemon trainer commission. Yes. So definitely check him out there. And our wrestler for the podcast this week, um, or this month rather, is going to be, uh, AJ Gray, who, um, He's definitely very known for being the, what did you describe him as? He, he, he horny on Maine, the way Inoue was trying to be horny on Maine with this. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it was, uh. He tries to be going to guy horny on Maine. Uh, yeah, 
But uh, AJ is actually going to be running a show during WrestleMania weekend uh, called For the Culture, uh, which is going to be running on uh, Friday, April the 3rd at 11 a.m. at the Cuban Club in Tampa. Um, it's going to be all um, wrestlers that are uh, black or uh, persons of color uh, at that at particular show. Uh, it looks good, like it's going to be a really great time. They just announced, um, I know, I forget who all is in the show. I know AC Mack and Faye Jackson were recently announced. So it should be a really good time. And hopefully I'll be there in person. But if, for those who are not, um, it should be broadcasting on Fight TV and maybe IWTV. I'm not certain. Uh, keep an eye out for that when it's going to closer to the time. Um, and as always, you can find us on, uh, you can find the podcast itself on anywhere you have a podcast RSS feed. So podcast.com, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Caster, Stitchbox, um, and yeah, any, no, Stitcher and CastBox. <laughs> it's been a while. I apologize. Um, any, but yeah, anywhere you can find a podcast that runs an RSS feed, you can find us. Um, our Twitter as always is, um, Rangersplain. And you can also find us on Instagram as at Rangersplain as well. We're trying to get back into updating that more frequently. We kind of dropped off while we were, um, dealing with our hiatus, but we're going to try to update that more frequently. So, uh, no pink spandex will leave us alone about that. Um, and as for me, you can find me on Twitter at, at Miss Kitty F. That's my Instagram handle as well. Um, my Patreon, I believe it's, um, Ashley, it's either, I think I'm Ashley Leckwold on Patreon. I don't remember right at this hot second. I will look that up before we record the next episode. Um, but I will also link that in the show notes. And my gum road is also, uh, Ashley Leckwold where I'm currently selling, uh, my zines and my comics for either digital or print. Now that I have a fancy new printer that I got for Christmas along with my instant pot. As always, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, right now, I've changed my Twitter handle to sins2, as in the t- number two, hell. Uh, my Instagram is still jjackets. Uh, my Patreon, which I haven't updated in a hot minute, but if you would like to see my writings, is jssrights87. It's also my Gumroad account, which I do have some... Co- I have one comic out. It is a steamy porn comic uh with a priest kink bent to it um i also make polar art which is basically um you do beads um of basically pixel beaded pencil art and you uh melt it down and everything uh you can find that at my partners and i's etsy uh great sg creations there's a space in between uh great sg and creations and sg is capitalized and i also do commissions for those as well Instant Pot, please sponsor us. We love you. Yes, we we love our Instant Pot. And I also will say that, like, um, the perlers that you and uh, and your partner do are actually really cool. So definitely check that out as well. And um, so that's it for Cutie Honey Live. But we're, I'm not finished taking over yet. Ah. That's right. We have a special episode coming out on Valentine's Day to kind of make up for our hiatus here, where we talk about the other two live-action versions of Cutie Honey, the 2004 movie directed by Hideki Anno, and 2016's Cutie Honey Tears. Honey, <laughs> 